Welcome, one and all, to Captain Haunted Mediocre Tiki Bar. I'm fairly certain I butchered that one up even after practicing. We are your bartenders, Orlando and Drew. Sit down, grab a drink. This is a show on the road. Today's topic is a little more on the philosophical end, as we try to be. Hopefully, we won't try to get too political into this. But uh, Okay, so... I've been thinking about this for quite some time now during my days at work, during my uh, set, my breaks at home, the strange obsession with legacy. Anybody who knows, I mean, if you know me by now, I'm a history buff. I love history. I love studying it. I love the, the philosophical general meaning of history. But as I've come and studied it over the past couple years, there's one thing that I've come to understand. That's the idea that while history is in itself written by the winners, there is a one more significant note that is usually um, overlooked. It's the idea that the majority of us don't really make an impact on history at all if we really want to be honest with ourselves 99.99 percent of us will never make a single bit of impact in history we'll live our lives day by day and when we pass on our memory our names they live on for maybe about what two three generations at most then it disappears. Our significance is almost completely kaput from the day we are born to shortly after we pass. This isn't an existential crisis or anything. This is only a fact of the matter of things. It is something that I've come to accept. But the reason why I bring this up is because If you've been around the political scene, you hear this constant obsession with being in, quote unquote, the right side of history. That if you say or believe or you, quote unquote, do something that is somehow in contrast to the right side of history, you'll be in the wrong side of history. Which is funny, don't you think, that we obsess so much over our impact in history when in the end of the day, almost none of us will make it into the history books. Take a look at World War II, for example. The greatest conflict in human history, 99.99% of our greatest heroes are unknown. They're nameless. Their contributions, heck, that generation itself is dubbed the greatest generation because what they endured, what they sacrificed, they're the atrocities that they endured. And yet, almost, we know almost nobody 
Sure, we know the names such as generals, such as Eisenhower and General MacArthur. We know the names of the we know the names of the Axis powers, such as Mussolini and Hitler. Those are big time names. These are the people that you you could argue made the biggest contributions, but you could also make the argument that they made the least amount of contributions. That they weren't the people on the battlefield. They weren't among the millions of people who may have given their lives, who endured a hell like no other, and their names will be forgotten. Their names are unknown. Perhaps maybe only to the small circle of people around them. They'll probably know. But as time goes on and erases everything, even too, their, their names will be gone. And they made the biggest sacrifices of all. It's a strange, twisted, and cruel fate that just gives us a reminder that no one is guaranteed to be on the pages of history, even when you make the biggest efforts. And yet this is the one gamble that a lot of people go for. This is the one gamble that we insist we have to do. This is why I'm like becoming more and more. Um, this is why I believe, or I should say, I'm more comfortable with the idea, the phrase, I just want to grill. Not because I don't want to contribute to history, but because I see that the, the futility of trying to force yourself into history is nonsensical. I can understand that you incidentally become a part of history. There are many figures in history that don't, they don't force themselves into it. They just become a part of it because their ideologies, their beliefs, their convictions – brings them forth towards the tales of history. But then you have people today who don't, who have, they have, their only desire is to make history and nothing else. They're so concerned with trying to make an impact, trying to leave a legacy, something to be that they themselves can be proud of without even realizing that they are just as likely as everyone else, that their names will one day be lost to time. Even if they did something wonderful, even if, they, if their contributions were positive, your name will be lost more than likely. And you'll just be amongst the group of nameless individuals that made that contribution. But what difference does that make? What difference does that do to you? There's so, there's so much wrong with the idea of wanting to make an impact without having anything, well, no desire for anything else this might be selfish of me the idea of wanting to grill but i just want to grill it's yeah you can you can honestly consider that to be selfish and that's perfectly fine but the selfishness does not come from the idea that 
I don't want to help anyone. It's that I have a right to live my life for me and no one else. I can give my time to help others, absolutely. But when you demand me to give all my time, when you demand that I should feel ashamed for the little I have, that's where I feel our paths are a little different. Yes, compared to some, I may be privileged, but compared to others, I'm underprivileged. I don't look at things the way that others do. I'm feel, I do feel privileged, but blessed is the, is the more appropriate description. I don't care about wanting to be a part of the pages of history, even though it is a subject that is near and dear to my heart, because I know that myself in the end, I will not be a face of history. And not because I can't, but because I choose I don't, but I choose not to. I don't, I rarely take photos of myself because I don't have those photos for the sake of others or myself to look towards to in the future. I enjoy my life the way that it is now. And when I want my life to improve, I will bust my ass to do what I gotta do. But the point is, it's my life and I am going to enjoy my life for my sake. I'm not going to worry so much about a future that I'm simply not going to be a part of. And it's not selfish of me, or at least not as nearly as much as people think it is. Yes, there are generations to consider in the future. Absolutely. But they don't live their lives for me. I don't want them to live their lives for me. I don't want I don't live for the lives of others who died in the past. I live my life for me because I want to live my life for me. And whatever contributions I make to the future of mankind, they will not be at the complete sacrifice of my entire life for them. Because what I would want in the future for future generations would be to live the lives for themselves and not be so bound to the past or bound to the future that their lives pass them by. Bold words, sir. Heavy words. And you make many a point. I think at the end of the day, your sentiment is not an, not an uncommon one. It's just something that I've been in a, on the rocks about for, for the last week and a half. I didn't even know that I'd be able to, you know, gather my thoughts properly and and say it out loud without uh, without fumbling. You did you did pretty damn good, sir. And I think you got I think you got the the, the, the all all of your points down on paper effectively. What I think ends up happening for a lot of people is. I think the concept of legacy has become kind of a a novelty 
especially in the context of um, genetic legacy. I think that started a little after the boomer generation, Gen X, millennial generation. It stood the, the concept of you know creating creating new life to pass on your experiences to and all that stuff just just kind of decreased in value. Many many people talk about the concept of you know replacing themselves along 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 the the, the lines of history in one in one capacity or another. I'm not I personally have never been a fan of it because you and I share similar proclivities when it comes to you know being in the history books. We're never going to be no any we, we, they're, they're, the 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 um the odds aren't in our favor in that regard. No, it's not in anyone's favor. But I think this is. I think I agree with you on that particular regard. Like an example, and I know it sounds weird. We don't. Okay, we don't do podcasts for anything other than the sheer enjoyment we have of making them. We don't plan on having these being immortalized, and if no one else hears our podcasts. We'd still be perfectly fine with it. It's true. I've I've never been much for you know building a huge following. I'm just trying to get my thoughts out into the ether and my, the thoughts of my friends because if if someone even even if it's only three people, if three other people are listening to this and glean something from it intrinsically in their lives, like it helps them answer a question or. It gives them greater understanding of, you know, the the different inner workings of, of the social structures and, you know, how how we interact with this reality. I, I'm I'm happy. I mean, if I had ten people following us at this point, it'd be fine. It'd be the same as the three people we have at the moment. Agreed. I'm not. For for me, I don't need this to be a banner carried by carried by many. I need this to be an introspective plot device for somebody for one person who can sit there and listen to it and maybe maybe you know grapple with something that's been sitting in the back of their brain especially especially this kind of topic because especially we have so many people who do fall in the category of slightly nihilistic or maybe it's more of a just you know a maudlin experience where they just don't see a reason to do that do that kind of stuff Maybe this gives them a perspective on why they're doing so. Maybe it changes their tra- trajectory, and maybe they decide to do something about it. Really, just depends on the each individual people. I have no, I don't, I don't want a uniform understanding of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I want everybody to come to their own conclusions. We say this repeatedly on the podcast, and we're going to keep saying it. You, at the end of the day are going to formulate your own opinions and your own thought webs on everything that you do. You may- All we're going to do is give you our, perspe- our perspective on what's going on. Absolutely. You may disagree. You may have your reasons for disagreeing with us, and that is perfectly valid. We will not take that away from you. But if you're willing to listen to us, then we won't have any reason for us. We won't have any reason to deny or to disavow 
your opinion, whatever that may be, for any topic. Very true. I, as I said before, there's definitely there's definitely different aspects of legacy that people really do need to think about in regards to what they leave behind to the next generation. And it doesn't always have to be, like I said, genetic. Sometimes if you do, if you do something in the, in the context of your local community, you shouldn't, what was always this philosophy? Cause Phil said something about it. It was uh, good people, good men plant trees whose shade they will never experience. Yeah. And that's, and that's literally the way I look at that kind of stuff. A legacy to me would be, you know, repaving a, a walkway for uh, kids who are walking around, who are walking around a, a park to make sure that they don't trip and fall or, you know, have a, have a nice place to ride their bike. I'd rather something, I'd rather I do something that might, that minuscule, but that effective for me. And I don't even care if they ever remember that I did it. I, I don't think it's all, and I don't think it's altruistic to think that way. I don't and that, and I don't think altruism is possible. But what do you think? No, I a hundred percent agree. I believe that in, I believe in that philosophy that you know the clean your room sort of thing. That the idea that even your smallest contributions can make a big impact if you allow it. I just think people become too obsessed with the idea that the bigger the contribution they make, the the bigger impact that they will make later down the line in the future. And I think that has led to people to be very rash in their decisions and left and more and more than anything cause harm where they intended good. Agreed. And, but I think it has to more to do with people. It's a level of ambition that I think is also apparent in people. If you, if you have, and everybody has differing levels of ambition. Some people just want to go for that level of glory in a world that doesn't have glory, uh, doesn't have glory on the menu anymore. Yep. They want to have their name written somewhere or, or in that regard. But what do you do when, you know, written word is pretty much digital digital code in a fucking in a fucking metal box. Is it really that worth it? Is it worth it to try and worry about that kind of stuff when you have when you could just as easily be erased from from history by somebody who's bored with a keystroke? Is it worth it to even be be in that function that that kind of functioning? Is it a waste of energy to do that kind of stuff? That's always dependent on the individual person. True. And I feel like there needs to be a there needs to be a, uh, a, a reunification of purpose when it comes to that kind of stuff, especially think, with people who are kind of disassociated from the experience. I think it also has to do with the luster that we give to history. In all honesty, it's kind of hard for you not to consider wanting to leave an impact when we. Actually, for them, for more or less, we actually do grandize history. 
I mean, for the most part, it's kind of hard for a person to not want to make a lasting impact when you watch certain, when you, when you're, when you're being taught these things and you live in a world of relative peace and you feel like there's nothing you can really do to make the contribution. So you're going to have to find and force your way to make that contribution whether it's necessary or not. What's more and what's more interesting in that concept is as time has gone on, um, at least as far as my schooling experience is concerned, it's been less about teaching kids to make an impact on history as it has become more of a, don't make ripples in the pond kind of philosophy that's been passed down. So when you have generations who do become adults going and, you know, entering the workforce or, or going to college or taking on a trade, they just want to go and do their jobs. They don't care if they get too much recognition for it, at least in a, at least in a, a global capacity. Because they're because some people are just realistic that way. They're just like I don't expect, you know, I don't expect accolades. I expect to get paid and get on with my life and be allowed to do what I want to do, with within the within the social construct that I've agreed upon as I've gone forth in this world. And I, and I don't know if that's to the detriment of of people. I, I couldn't tell you. Maybe it's a different philosophy in a different school. Who knows? No, I've I never experienced anything. that. It may seem it, it may seem terrible to want to only just do what it is that you have to do and just enjoy your life in peace without making things worse. But if things are generally peaceful, relatively speaking, why do you want to make things, you know, a thousand times worse? A, a, a cycle of revolutions doesn't make for a very a, a very fruitful life, no matter who's involved. Unless you're aiming for the very top, it's always going to be a constant struggle. No matter what you're going to do, someone's going to be at the top. Others have to be below that. So if you're going to take that risk, you're going to take that gamble up to the top. I wish you the best of luck on everything. I will not I don't I don't blame you for lusting over the top. But you can't fault those who just want to make their lives and do with what's do with what they've uh, what they've made. It, 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 the, the world takes all kinds, and at the, the end of the day, that you have that kind of paradigm. A lot of people just just don't feel the need to do that kind of stuff. It, as far it, as the more genetic aspect, I think this is the the genetic legacy is definitely a cultural thing in 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 the world in the global culture. It really just depends on where you're from. The the the, the necessity to procreate and have a living legacy in that regard is very much attached to the individual, you know, countries and, you know, nationalities that across the world that, 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 ha that cherish that kind of thing. 
in in more and i think it's it's definitely a a more um uh it, it has to do with industrial uh levels in that regard because more technologically advanced peoples aren't nearly as concerned with ensuring that they have you know children down the line to continue on on their legacy because they're not worried about the next you know big bubonic plague or whatever you know famine might come along because they don't have those kind of headaches to worry about. Life but I think in areas deep. that are that are uh, getting be- getting more technologically advanced, but are still behind, you know, the first world country concept. It you know that 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 legacy aspect is very very coveted. Fair enough. I mean, I, I mean, just watch the the Disney movie Coco, and you'll get a general idea of the you know the Latin perspective on legacy, because there are generations of people uh, uh, in those photos and in paintings in that room. That's basically just a a, a collage of experiences and lifetimes and generations that are perpetually being revered. You don't see that in many in, in many first world cultures, unless it was something that was continually drilled into that that particular society's head. I mean, fair point. I'm I may be Hispanic, but I sure as heck wasn't necessarily aware of that sort of thing. I knew about the, I knew about that holiday, but I didn't know the extent of how far that or how far they go with that sort of thing. Then again, maybe that's my that's my fault for not understanding certain cultures and not necessarily doing the research necessary to understand the historical aspects of it. I mean, technically, the Incas did something similar with their mummified emperors. Uh, that's probably yeah, that's probably my fault on overlooking that little detail. No, and and I think that 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 you, your perspective on things is a very intriguing, intriguing uh, uh, puzzle piece of of a greater puzzle, because your perspective on it, and it's where it's where you were born, it's how you were raised, it's your life after being after that experience, that colored your perspective on things where the cultural significance of it kind of blew over your head because it never came into focus for you. You were you, you were never compelled by a family member to go and worry about that kind of stuff in any for in any meaningful amount. You knew about it in passing because it was something that was you were aware of maybe because of the surrounding culture that you knew about, or maybe it was something that you just knew about, uh, you know, per, in periphery because maybe stuff like cocoa existed. And you're like, oh yeah, that's a thing that happens. Just depends on how you live your life in that regard. I mean, if you want to kick yourself for not having, not really thinking about those those aspects of your life, I can't blame you. But I mean, at that point, the amount of different heritages I have intermixed in in that regard, it, it's it, I, I'd have so many so many bullshit things I'd have to worry about. I, I'd, I'd rather not. <laughs> at the end of the day, you are the you are the ultimate arbiter things that you remember from the past and the value that they hold to you. If it's not giving you significance to you in your daily life, you're never going to go out of your way to give it significance any further. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think that's the linchpin of it all. The fact that 
the fact that we as individuals can indeed place the value on whatever we please as a result just gives things just further uh, reinforces uh, both it, it gives both homage to legacy and humbles the idea at the same time and it, it does definitely need a, 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 a community to make sure that those th- those traditions pass on and if there's no one there to really stoke that fire and keep it going to where it stays kindled to, for that for the following generations it's going to wink out. There's just no way around it. <laughs> Agreed. And that's and I think that's what ends up being the 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 major um, downfall for a lot of tradition and and legacy as a whole is if you don't instill it in the future generations, they're not going to care about its significance going forward. And then you have people who just don't really understand why it's there. And then you have these weird cultural, you know, wellsprings of people who dig up information from the past and go, well, why aren't we doing this? This is part of who we are or were, was part of who we were. And I don't see a reason not to bring it back because it, it, it also depends on the, 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 the mundanity of the tradition. If it's just having like a specific dinner celebration for, a, a, you know, a holiday or how you how you celebrate people coming into the world you know, being born, etc. That 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 has that, that's more slightly more mundane than you know larger, grander celebrations that may exist in that context. It also really depends on the ge- on the general uh, wealth of the community as a whole as to whether they're really going to go out of their way to keep those traditions cultivated. I find I find middle wage and uh, lower wage communities tend to cling to, tr- to tradition a little bit more because it's something that they feel is a, an effective survival tactic, at least, at least in some sort of passing capacity. That's a, that's a rather interesting perspective. I didn't, I didn't think to, I didn't think of that. When you come from, it depends on where you come from, dude. Like, a lot of the a lot of the things that I you know the Sunday dinner concept that my family kept around that's tends to be a, uh, a an Irish and Italian experience, and my family was doing that kind of stuff for a long time up until the point where my family kind of dispersed. Never really did it much after that point, but we still kept the philosophy when we did holidays. I mean, you've experienced that at least once or twice with me with my family, so you kind of get the idea. That's think of that, but that's every Sunday. That was the kind of stuff that we were doing, and and it, it's and it's definitely attached to that kind of. I don't I don't want to attach it to a region because I don't want to say that oh well it's a Midwestern thing or it's an Eastern thing or, you know it because yeah, no, I, I think I think anybody who has a family a large enough family unit where they can have everybody together they should they're, they're just going to do it. Yeah, I get you. It's. It's like how it's like how um, it's like how almost every single culture in the world has some sort of myth mythology, despite the fact that at one point we were we had no connections to one another, we just sort of formed one regardless. 
you, 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 de- you end up being your own creator of your own traditions. Like for myself and my, and my offspring, our tradition every year is to go out to eat on Christmas Eve and just sit and chat with each other because that was the thing that little thing that we wanted to do. My family on both sides has been kind of dispersed since the eldest matriarchs and patriarchs had passed on because the generation that followed, the generation after saw, didn't see fit to continue having larger celebrations of holidays. Uh, it, that happened more on my, on my father's side. Uh, my, my, my mom's side tends to still stick to that kind of stuff. Obviously with Corona, it was a little bit more difficult, but we, you know, we, we used, we used untraditional methods to make sure that everyone could still interact with each other in one way or another. But like it's my my two sides of my family is a great example of the two different sides of the coin. If there's nobody to really cultivate that experience and keep it going, no one's going to. They're going to look at it as as a hassle because it it honestly is. Without without the expectation and the social contract in place in your family, why would you care to drive up to someone's house just to eat food when you could do it at home? It, it, you, you end up really starting to realize that the intrinsic value of the people that are in your extended family based on those kind of things. Like I will never not love going and seeing my, you know, my mom's side of the family because they have a family viewpoint of things it's that Irish Italian experience personified. They very much view things in the concept of the family unit in that regard. But with my dad's side, they're more Eastern European. And while there is some, familial attachments to it it would it died along with my grandmother everyone else kind of just did their own thing and went off into their own direction so you you, you kind of get a, you kind of get a, a taste of both sides in that regard yeah i see your point it's also the reason why my mom's side of the family loves adding more to the family unit even if they aren't bound by blood it's That's it's it's intrinsic in the way that they function, that the family unit doesn't have an end. It only has a beginning. So as I grew up, there were people who came in and out of the family unit who weren't specifically family. The concept of the family friend became something of uh, uh, synonymous with the, the family experience for me. And that's also the reason why even to this day, my, the, the older generations in my mother's in my mom's side absolutely have zero problem adding more and more people to it with very little thought process because my grandfather did before he passed on. If you, if you were in my, if you, if you were in my fam, if you had had dinner at my grandfather's house at any given point and you were a fan and you were a friend of one of his family members, guess what? It's likely you were part of the family with very little difficulty on his part. The, The legacy is what you do for other people. If they remember you, so much the better. If they don't, at least they know that someone gave a fuck about them enough to do something nice for them. That's actually kind of beautiful, honestly. Sorry, I don't seem I don't want to laugh. It's just that it's uh <laughs> it's almost tear inducing. <laughs> Wasn't my intention, but I do appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> No, well, that's it's because it's a beautiful, beautiful perspective, and it is something that it's something that my I guess 
I guess my jaded perspective doesn't quite understand, or at least does can't quite uh, can't quite see it in quite the same way, or at least never really. As I should say, never really experienced much of it. <laughs> but hey, it, it's still nice to see, nonetheless. <laughs> and and I think that at the end of the day, you know, everyone loves to throw throw this saying back and forth, and they never really understand the concept because they only use part of it. They state that blood is thicker than water. And at the end, and they, they, they use it in the most general statement, but that's not the saying. The statement, the saying is this, the blood of the covenant is stronger than the water of the womb. And what that means is that the bonds that you create with other people are always going to be stronger than the bonds of familial relation. If you have family members who you have, who are, who, who you keep as a strong bond, that's, that's just perfect. But, as much as I have family members that I love and will never stop caring about, it extends that far as, as far, if not further to the friends that I've made along the way, who still keep in contact with me, who still interact with me in some meaningful capacity because they, they're just as important, if not more important, because those were the family I chose. Fair enough. <laughs> And as and, and as and as pertaining to legacy in that regard, I think you really just have to understand that if you've come to that clarity that you had when that when you were talking for the first bit of time in the podcast, once you've accepted that and quantified it into your life, you tend to have a more fulfilling experience within that paradigm because you aren't. You, you, you set a level of expectation that there is no way that you can't succeed in because all you're trying to do is live. If you do stuff outside within that context that does good things for other people, then you are already creating a legacy just by doing the things that you do. At least that's my observation on things as I've lived my life. No, it's, I agree, 100%. It's hard, it's hard not to, like, iterate or to add when you've basically got it down pat. I agree with you. I, I, I'm, I, at this point, I'm just kind of trying to give you, the, give, you the, give you the understanding that you are not alone in the way you view things. And it's something that I've always been toss, tossing around in my head especially as my paradigm has evolved with, you know, child rearing and marriage and all those other traditional aspects of legacy that we all have that are part of the, you know, the kit as it were, what are you doing? Well, I, you know, I go to school when I'm a kid, when I'm younger, I learn what I need to learn until I go to college or a trade. And then I learn what I need to learn there. And then I go on, and I, you know, I find I find a, a companion in my life to continue on my experiences with. And I, you know, if I have a kid, there's a, there's a living legacy attached to that. And, and, you know, things continue on. And if everything goes according to plan, my child goes off and does pretty much the same thing, whatever that may end up being. There's a, it sets an expectation for people 
it, it's supposed to be the base thing that you should be hunting for in life, but it always comes down to the fact that those those aspects fall away in the presence of of the of the modern paradigm. Is it really necessary to have to have more kids when we're worried about overpopulation? Well, I mean that really depends. You really should look. You got to look at the science on that one if you're that worried about having more children in the context of overpopulation. Because if you look at the modern society, um, we're dangerously close, at least in our country, to falling below the uh, the replacement quota, as it were. So having children is kind of a necessity in that regard, especially if you want to continue the current type of society that you're living in. If you don't care, don't do anything. You're, you're, the, the process is already in motion. And, it's, and this also goes to uh, something that Phil and I talked about in the last podcast. Um, it is uh, the, the, the Japanese culture is on, nearly on the verge of collapse because the, the concept of legacy is literally just been eroded to the point of, to the point of obscurity. And when you have such a large population of people who have, as, as they're called hikikomori, homebody people who really have no interest in joining the workforce or having children or continuing the cultural experience of, of the Japanese in any meaningful capacity, you, you look at that kind of stuff and like it, one of two things should pop up in your head. Shit, I need to make sure that doesn't happen to my culture, whatever that may be. Or two, it's a great idea. Maybe we all just need to, you know, pare down until we shrink back down to some sort of manageable amount. I mean, what what are we at? Seven billion people right now, and growing. Well, it, supposedly we'll eventually plateau at around twelve billion, according to certain statistics. Don't quote me on that because I'm not entirely certain, but I believe it's roughly twelve billion. Yep. So, I mean, it, again, you, you, you combine that with the fact that we have the technological advancements that we have now where you know, we don't need as many people to do things as we did before. It's also what kind of pushes the concept of automation in a lot of industries where handcrafted goods were much more coveted back in the day and not so much now where we have mass manufacturing. It, it's something that it, it, it that another thing that kind of destroys the concept of legacy because handmade items of any stripe are a are a fucking genuine gem in contrast to the the the, the mass production that we see in a lot of the first and first world countries and second world countries. It's it, it, it that's why you have you know the Etsy store filled with people making their own handmade stuff for profit. Because they believe that what they're doing is something that should be cherished. I can't argue with it. Handmade crafts are amazing in that regard. But in the yeah, when, when you put it in the face of an industry that can basically take what you've created and duplicate it at infinitum, what what do you do with that? How do you how do you contextualize that as a human being? Yeah, you have a fair point there. It's the same way how it's the same how uh, how certain craftsmiths when they create their craft by hand, the, the 
you can tell at least for the general part if you're well inclined um you can tell apart from the mass produced ones and yeah it's kind of hard to argue when they can just simply outproduce you without <laughs> almost well shoot, yeah it's unfair it's kind of hard to argue it's kind pretty much unfair <laughs> they can unfairly outproduce you <laughs> and that ends up being a huge problem because then your prices can't you, because your efforts obviously you have to be compensated for your effort and time and it just isn't quite the same oh boy this ends up being a far more complicated situation than originally thought <laughs> Hey man, when you when you open, you 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 should have known that when you opened this can of worms that it was going to be a uh, a sprawling experience. And and as much yeah, I, in as much as what we're talking about, the the ramifications of that kind of thing are very much uh, a lot, have a lot more gravity than I think many people give it credit for. And that's fair. It definitely opened my eyes a little bit too. A broader perspective than I than I wouldn't have that I wouldn't have noticed had I had I uh, decided to just not talk about this. No, and I'm I'm happy you did, and I'm glad that we can sit down and have this conversation because, at the very least, it, as you're learning, if it passes on to other people, so much the better. And that's also a very intriguing viewpoint on the concept of antiques in the greater. In, in the greater uh, resale experience, because there are many people who n- covet antique furniture and wares in that regard, because the 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 uh, the longevity of a lot of these things is something that's hard to match with modern day technology, because of especially the way that we create things and have created things for the past twenty or thirty years, forty years, fifty years, even is very much a mass market appeal experience. So quality tends to fall down in the process of creation because we're creating so many of, of, of a singular object. And the, the value is much less intrinsic than it would be with something that was a handcrafted table Amish made. Or, and that's also one of the reasons why the Amish still makes some of the most beautiful furniture and why it's some of the most prized possessions in families because these are still generations of people who rely on traditional means of production to create beautiful pieces that have durability and have a level of craftsmanship that's kind of fallen by the wayside to automation and 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 in in, in and of that cell that that experience it's a type of legacy that the Amish have left because they're creating something that they know will have the, the long, the, the, uh, the lifespan to live two to three generations down the line. Dude, there are people who own, uh, cookware, pots and pans, Dutch ovens and cast iron that has been in their family for two to three generations. And the reason for that is because of two things. One, their family bloodline has cared for those objects in the process of using them and two because of their sheer durability you can't dispute that that stuff exists outside of time's touch because they're taken care of so well yeah actually that's a very fair point 
I didn't think of. I'm sorry. It just I I didn't I didn't see it that way. I didn't think about about that. That's actually a very good point. Well, I'm glad I'm glad I'm, <laughs> I'm glad I'm giving you more insight at this. This was kind of your topic, but I like I don't think you realized. I think you kind of looked at it and it's like, oh, I'm just gonna crack this pamphlet open, and then all of a sudden it turned into like a fucking you know, a 30 volume novel and you're like, Oh shit, never mind. This is a lot more than I was expecting it to be. No, no, no. It's more on the, okay. I see it with one perspective. I'm going to go ahead and give it a shot and see. And then I'm like, wow, wow. I did. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. That's a fair point. It's learning. And that's the one thing that I love about this sort of, this sort of thing. It's just learning under gaining information and just learning about things you may not have known, whether it's from a new perspective or that's the whole point of this whole thing. It's just learning and understanding and being presented different ideas or new ideas. Apparently since I didn't fucking see this shit coming, but that's, that's the whole point. It's just, I love these kinds of pot. I love this kind of podcast for this particular reason it's just so that i can present my present different ideas and then be given different ideas or different perspectives and that way i can feel more fulfilled and walk away with something that was greater than what i had before the value in this for me is learning to understand different ideas better whatever it may be whether I agree with it or not is a whole other story. I'm not saying I don't agree, but it's a it's a you it the idea isn't whether I agree with it. It's that I've learned to I've been exposed to this knowledge. And it's beautiful to me. Well, I'm glad that you get I'm glad you're getting some some kind of value out of it because I it, I cherish your perspective as much as you cherish mine in that regard. And I think that in, in and of itself is a type of legacy we build is con, con, conferring upon each other life experiences and wisdom that we've acquired over time. It, it, it's, uh, they, they refer to it as institutional wisdom, and it's supposed to be one of the coveted things that our elders pass on to us. And I feel like as a construct, it has fallen to the wayside because the viewpoint that, especially the viewpoint of the uh, of uh, of elder generations is definitely a vitriolic one in as much as younger generations don't feel like they've been left a legacy of positivity they've been left holding the bill and all they have are these people that they view as individuals who dine and ditched leaving them at the table rather than giving them some sort of uh you know, building blocks to not have to, to build their own uh, foundations with whether that's happening, whether that happens intentionally or not. I feel like that's a lot of what our generation feels like and ironically have done basically the same thing to the next generation as a whole. I think that stems from just general, general home life uh, deterioration that's come from, from, from the modern world. When you have as many, when you had as many divorces as you had back in the day, and I'm saying this as someone who is in their late 30s, it's not all that unusual 
for people to lose um, their respect for their respect for their elders, quote unquote, because their elders in their in their eyes never left them anything. So they don't feel compelled to give a damn about what's being told to them, even if it might help them down the line. They view it. It's it's the uh, it's the poison well scenario for a lot of people when it comes to knowledge and experience for them. No matter what you tell them, they would rather learn it for themselves because they don't see a reason to learn it, learn at your feet because they don't view they don't view you as a teacher. They view you as an obstacle. No, that's fair. It's like it's a sense of lack. It's a sense of lack of trust and doubt. Why should I trust you if your life is in complete shambles or worse? Why should I trust you when your life isn't in complete shambles? And you've left me no ways to, to at the very least, get a scintilla of what you have right now, be it you know some sort of financial security or property or you know, some other form of legacy left to them by their forefathers and foremothers. It's it, it, you. There's an expectation going forward especially as things go on and this i can say this with as as a parent and i said it in the last podcast the the end of the day parents want one thing they want things better for their children than they had it now what that what that con that's what's up that's how absolutely but there's there ends up being a plateau of sorts with that kind of philosophy it's not that it's something that can't be achieved in that regard, but resources and, and desire tend to be the two major functionaries of that philosophy coming to fruition. And if the, if the recipient of these things doesn't feel compelled to either of those for whatever reason, if it's something like they're, they're just a poor family and they're just, they just can't make it work for whatever reason, that it's no, no shame on them in that regard. But it should, but it should be a driving ambition for that individual to try and make things better. But what you end up creating is kind of a weird cycle. I believe the statement was a long time ago, and I've heard it many times up recently in the past four or five years. It's uh, the cycle of uh, growth and gro- death and death and decay that happens. I know it sounds cynical, but hard. What was the statement? Hard men make good times. Good times make soft men. Soft men make hard times. That sound about right? I could be off on that one. It's hard times create hard men. Hard men create peaceful times. Peaceful times make weak men. Weak men make hard times. And that in and, and in that paradigm. That's where it's the same. It's the same with the grandfather principle. The grandfather is there are three generations. The grandfather is the one that basically gives his entire life to build what he can. The father generation sees what the grandfather has sacrificed and does his best so that his son doesn't ever suffer the consequences of what his, of what his father has endured. And the son grows up with little knowledge and little little knowledge of the suffering that the previous two generations endured, 
becomes overly spoiled to be very general general ends up basically wasting everything that was given to him and it go it revolves right back to the grandfather stage all over again in the next generation it's a cycle that continues on ad infinitum if it ends up be if it continues that same uh the the, the same pattern and it's extremely difficult to break that pattern in in, in, in as much as where where we find ourselves because in in a lot of that in a lot of that respect our generation is very much the sun generation of this paradigm we have technological advancements that our grand, that our parents and grandparents did not see in their younger years ever and what this has created is a situation where we're it's going to be that much more difficult to contextualize the concept of hard work without changing the definition to the point of mutation for the next generation. You, you know, you talk, I hear people when they're, when they first have, when they're having their children or going to have their children, like I'm going to instill good work ethics in my kid and, you know, they're going to be responsible and self-reliant. I'm like, well, what exactly does that entail? What are you going to do? Cause you know, you, you hear, I, you know, I, I watch, I watch a lot of podcasts that talk about, well, you should go and learn how to, you know, grow a garden or, you know, learn how to chop wood, how to, how to become, how to become survival, you know, some kind of survivalist. And I'm like, well, you're planning for something that may come down the line. What happens if you never use any of those, uh, those, uh, traits or talents when, when, when time, when time trundles on, they fall away. Like, like a lot of people who end up, uh, I had an aunt, I had an aunt who I have an aunt who is Italian. She's second generation Italian. Her family was from uh, from the, from the mainland in Italy, and they spoke Italian pretty frequently in the house. But what ends up happening? What ended up happening was her and her sister um, just stopped using it because if they weren't using it in house, they weren't using it in real life. So it started to become a it started to become a failing. Uh, a failing trade of theirs that they just they never never recultivated in whatever capacity now i don't think that they don't know how to read italian but like speaking it's not something that they do anymore so they have no reason to do so and and in in that in that specific it's fallen away i don't think anybody's going to go out of their way to you know be able to you know create a fire without with flint and tinder and that kind of stuff there's definitely a a, a marked expiration date for things is what I'm saying. No, that's totally understandable. I mean, I'm on the opposite end of that particular spectrum. Keep in mind, I am a person of Hispanic origin. I am a firstborn um, uh, in the U.S. And I had a family that essentially spoke Spanish in-house until everyone went their separate ways. I currently live alone. And I don't have anybody to speak the language to. So most of the time I speak English, but I try my best at the very least where I work, where it's with other Hispanics there, I'll speak to them in Spanish because not only they, most of them can't speak English anyway, but it helps keep my ability to speak the language alive. And it helps keep, it helps keep me sharp to a sense. I don't, really have much of a reason other than to 
my own personal desire to simply preserve it. And, 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 and in that, it's, it's a positive thing because it's a part of your culture that you're holding on to. Even if it's the most minuscule one in your perspective, it's something that still has a greater impact because it still will have intrinsic value for you down the line as long as you are interacting with people who have that same language capability. You, you have a use for that trait. But when you compare that to something like um, gardening, I, I personally think everybody should have a garden. I have absolutely no problem with that. In fact, I love fresh produce in that regard because to me, that's such an amazing experience for, for any person. But you can't, but when you quantify that in the face of rapid technological advancement as far as foodstuffs are concerned, it's much more difficult to rationalize having a garden, even if you have the land necessary to do so. When yeah, I kind of do, but my problem isn't necessarily a uh, isn't necessarily a land no, a land issue, or even like it's more on the grounds of a rodent issue. You know what I'm saying? Well, I, I get that environmental concerns are are a headache, but for me, it's for 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 this particular example, I was more referring to you know technology makes gardening obsolete because if you can go to the grocery store and buy bell peppers, what the fuck is making you, what the fuck is possessing you to grow your own? Well, that's a, well, well, that issue is more on the fact that it's peacetime and not necessarily a time of conflict. This is why I say a relative point of, we're in a relative state of peace at the moment, because let's be honest, in a state of war, I, and in, this context, apparently civil war, I sincerely doubt that we would even have the supply chains as stable as they are now. And if they are, and and if they end up being severed at any point in time, then you have a big issue because let's be honest, only, only about 1% of the entire, the entire world does heavy agriculture. It's very true. What are you going to do with the 99% that, that are basically unknown and unaware of, or should I say, incapable of doing gardening? That includes myself, by the way. I'm not excluding myself out of this. Oh, no, I'd be fucking screwed unless I learn how to hunt. And uh, there are plenty of rodents outside at the moment that could probably teach me. Your uh, your rodent problem aside, <laughs> I think that if you wanted an effective microcosm about what supply shortages would look like, you need only look to the past year to see the general understanding of what it, an example of what that could possibly look like at its bare minimum. Paper products. Oh, somebody snatched the toilet paper. Paper products, specific types of foods. We're having supply head, supply chain issues. There were specific types of meats that you couldn't access because the farmers weren't weren't you didn't have the the trucks to be able to take the product away from their places. Industry was at a grinding halt. If you want to look at what that looks like, if if that doesn't give you a reason enough to go and invest at least partially in some kind of small garden for your family. Or maybe even for your neighborhood, if you're feeling particularly uh, generous, 
I don't really know what to tell you in that regard. But even in that kind of concept, that's the view of legacy too. Because if you're doing that kind of stuff, nine times out of 10, you're likely doing it with a family member, maybe a younger family member, and you can teach them how to do that kind of stuff where they would have the want to do that when they go out into the world and do things for themselves. Moreover, I think that there is a, a distinct lack of understanding of urgency of situations like we had last year. And while I'm one of the few people who actually kept their ears to the ground, I'm not even tooting my own horn on that. I'm just like, there were people who were talking about the whole COVID thing in, in, in early January and were working that and were explaining to the people who were listening to them that they just need to be prepared. You have to really understand that that even just being prepared in that regard is still a form of legacy that you pass on to the next generation because it, it, even if they never use those particular tr- those particular uh, experiences and talents and skills, they're there when they need them, and all they have to do is cultivate them and, or re- re- reinvigorate them, as it were, to, to save themselves down the line. Yeah. If you Thank look you. at YouTube, even YouTube is a great example of what digital um, of what a digital uh, legacy is because either one of us can go on and learn how to yeah. do pretty much anything on YouTube. Yep. From pu- from fixing toilets to unclogging drains in the bathtub. I am speaking from personal experience, of course. It it definitely is a great indeed a, a great help. And it's a great preserver of skills that are relatively forgotten i'll give you that one but it's as I, as we said in the last podcast it's really a matter of of uh antiquity in a lot of cases but i i'm a firm believer that having the having some kind of knowledge cursory knowledge in those aspects still holds value down the lines even if we become a fully automated society all it takes is one good, you know, short circuit for an entire region to become blacked out with nothing better to do. <laughs> other than other than having scented candles no, everywhere, having the ability to understand how to make a fire in some in some form or another, how to know, you know, what how to how to do make preserves and you know do canning and that kind of stuff is not something that I think shouldn't be overlooked in that regard because you know you never know when the when when the uh when when the industrial uh candy man cuts you off no that's fair it's understandable there is value even in an antiquity and more so than we let on yep and for me i think i will never stop thinking that a legacy that you leave to other people, be it your own progeny or your family or your friends or even just your neighborhood should be the, the, should be the experience that you give to them of your own life. Whether it's something that inter- involves interpersonal relationships, like 
I've, I've counseled a, a, a younger member of Twitter who's come to me about talking about, you know, relationship experiences with, 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 uh, with uh, other people. And I've talked with him about that, whether it's dealing with something that's more physical, like, you know, repairing something. These are things that can still hold some, some form of currency as even as time chugs on and everything's robotic. True. Fair enough. And as for your original statement that you made at the beginning, even if you yourself never go out of your way to have children or a wife or, you know, greater, greater property for yourself, even your own experiences within that context are still something you can pass on to other people who maybe are walking a similar path at the very least to give them a shortcut down the road for when they, when they inevitably move to a different milestone in their existence. And by that you confer a legacy within that, within that construct. Fair enough. (laughs) I think we've co- I think we've come full circle on this at least in at least in the abstract unless you have more you wish to add to it which like I, I enjoyed your I enjoyed your con- your statement at the beginning no, so if you have good. more do do feel free to go for it no this has been wonderfully insightful I, this I don't think I have much left to say at this point uh, was there a topic you wanted to discuss or do you want to cut this uh no, I'm short. short. We've been going at this for an hour fifteen. I don't know what you're talking about. I know, but uh, it's, never mind. Uh, if there's nothing you else you'd like to add, I think we can. The I only thing I think I would it. add is I would come. I would come around and summarize this. the The strange reality of legacy is, in and of itself, based on the individual person who views it. Now I have the boulder and all that. But if you look at the, in, the, the intrinsic parts of the process and what a legacy entails, you do not have to feel bound to a specific aspect of legacy. You don't have to feel compelled unless, you're, unless it's by cultural reasons, because there are cultures who view wedding and marriage and child rearing in a very uniform scenario be it through arranged marriages or just the cultural pressure to always be having families and children in whatever capacity that holds. Ultimately you are the progenitor and the, and the projection of what those traditions and legacies are going forward. And you ultimately are the one who passes that information on to your own child another's child if you're a if you're some kind of mentor in that regard or to the general populace if you're somebody who's a youtuber with some sort of with with enough of a following there's there's an there's inherent value in every aspect of legacy and even if you even if you didn't even if you didn't choose you still made a choice in that regard and yes i'm borrowing that from a from an old rock band and i don't care we're, we're all we're all bidden to this society in one aspect or another, and even those who've gone off the grid and live out in the woods in that in, in in one form or another, they're still choosing to interact with society in a specific way just by not interacting with it, because the if you believe that your your sheer absence of it 
doesn't have some sort of impact that imp- that you should understand that the moment that somebody tries to go forward and claim any area that you may have they're going you're going to have an impact on society just by that interaction or if for whatever reason industry finds you and decides that they want to expand into your region definitely these are things that 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 should be something that people pay attention to in that in, in that regard you are never far too you're never too far from society to not have some form of impact on it in the past, present, or future. How you, how that, how that happens and how you do anything in with short, it is purely up to you. In short, legacy is a paradox. Oh, Cherish oh God, yes, it's a paradox. It's your choice. And again, I think that, it, I think a lot of people end up feeling as though they're overwhelmed by the, by the prospects of legacy. And I cannot blame them because depending on how your family has put that burden on your shoulders, it can feel like uh, the rock of Gibraltar tied to your neck. How you end up digesting that, or if you walk away from it wholesale, ultimately will determine how your legacy plays out for you and for the immediate people around you who would feel that impact. Agreed. I think I'll leave it at that because I think that's the best way to wrap it up. Thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, we hope you haven't been too intoxicated by our discussion. But if you are addicted, feel free to come in for next week's session. This is Orlando. This is my co-host, Drew. Thanks for tuning in. All right. So... <clears throat> You can find our podcast on the Anchor app itself, if you have it. Um, The Anchor app also publishes to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, CastBox, and a few choice others. Um, If any of those platforms are defunct, obviously ignore them, but the major ones are Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. You can contact us individually if you wish. I am at Punk Toast. I'm sorry. I am Punk Toast on Twitter. There's no at there. Um, you can also contact me via Instagram, also at Punk Toast. Go ahead, uh, Harma. What's your what's your shtick? You can find me as the Ragnarok Knight on Twitter as well. It has been a pleasure discussing with you tonight. Thank you for joining us. Thank you all. And uh, this has been Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. Please join us next time at the bar where we will serenade you with more rants and insanity as we often do. Keep your wits about you and have your booze ready. Cast off, friends.